podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back after game week six as we head into the fixture swing and soon, inexorably, unfortunately, into another international break, the second one um, of this first half of the season, this calendar year. I'm in a bad mood after this evening's events, I'm not going to lie. Um, but hey, I'm here for therapizing for another episode of podcasting to assuage my dislike of the game which has gone and look ahead to the future with this one happily in the rearview mirror. We are Who Got the Assist. I'm Tom. You can find me on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. My co-host is Anthony at FPL Stag. And we're also on Instagram, WGCA.FPL. The lead code, I'm going to sing it for FPL Fairy. Apparently, it's a, got, become a big thing over in Ireland. To IP43T. We're also on video. It'll never replace the audio, but just so you know, it's there in case you want to watch us unedited. Join by Anthony. You're right. Oh, well, Tom, I think it's a, it was a similarly frustrating game week for me, to be honest. And we're going to get to that pretty soon in the game week reviews. And that's where we're going to start off this podcast. But the agenda for this pod, it's a bit more qualitative. And we're going to be correspondence led um, on that vein. What we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the fixture swing for a few clubs, how we should respond to that. And maybe kind of consider the fixture swings that are kind of, let's say, ongoing still, the ones that are just about to come and maybe touch upon the ones that we've seen so far and how those went as well. We're also going to do some of the usual uh, parts of the show, like the market forces, listeners' questions, etc. But as I said, we are going to start off with the Game Week reviews. It's not quite car crashes, but it's just kind of like slow dents in the side of the cars. I think, is that a way to put it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a slight prang rather than the full total. Um, it wasn't a good week for me. Um, I, I, my, I'm just so annoyed because like I, I had the Guaitar clean sheet. I did Guaitar in for Backman, and mm-hmm. I of that they conceded in the 95th minute. And mm-hmm. I sort of looked at my phone at 90. I thought, yeah, this is going to go in the 90th in, 90, in the last minute just because mm-hmm. it's, it's that sort of game. Um, I didn't watch it obviously because I only had the goalkeeper. And lo and behold, I picked up again and saw that Duncan scored and it was a Veltman assist as well. Um, so 43 for me this week, which is an absolute nightmare, really. Um, so I uh, benched Cody for Christensen because as in last week's pod, like, I thought that um, the Man City-Chelsea game would be nil-nil or a low-scoring game at the very least with Chelsea being most likely winners. And I was right about low, being low-scoring. Unfortunately, uh, Christensen uh, was on the wrong side of the, the low-scorer. Trent did nothing. Uh, Shaw um, got yellow cards and promptly went off injured in the first half. So that was an, a nice fat zero. Midfield, Benny Rama with blank. Uh, Jota and Salah both did a goal. Um, didn't captain Salah though, so the EO of that goal punished me. And Rafinha um, did a very nice goal, actually. Probably the only highlight I had this week, really, as Antonio scored, uh, got the three points um, uh, for the bonus as well for an eight. Um, Dennis did nothing. Early miss was basically all I got from him. And Ronaldo. But it's Ronaldo. He always scores. No, no, he didn't. Um, so only a, a four points from him, as in a blank for two times two. Um, so yeah, 43 points. I'm down to 465k, um, but 100k drop, something like that. I think it would have been slightly less if greater. I'd come through with the clean sheet from that four points where he probably was worth about 60k place. But got two free transfers. I only used one of my free transfers last week to do that goalkeeper move. And we'll talk about that as part of today's pod main title. Um, but yeah, that's uh, how it went for me. Anthony's slightly better, but still a red arrow, wasn't it? I think actually much more frustrating, Tom. And for people who are watching this on the YouTube, uh, usually <laughs> what we do is we make 
the you know we just include our team and we don't bother talking about our benches but unfortunately for me I, it was necessary for us to include my bench in this because this is really where the problems start I got 46 points. That's okay. I had Sanchez with his inexplicable three points. Then I had Zufal for two, Cody for six with my clean sheet there. Of course, he was beaten off to uh, the bonus points by uh, and other defenders and his goalkeeper. But, you know, that was kind of odd. I had White and Livramento as well, starting in the defense. Midfield three of Benrama, Salah, Jota, none of those captained. Then I had Lukaku, Ronaldo and Antonio up top. I captained Ronaldo. So unfortunately, kind of, you know, where there was real differential points to be made was going to be in my spare parts. Uh, It wasn't going to be in the premium players that I had. And maybe what we're starting to see here with me is maybe the issues that come with having, you know, a good, let's say, front seven, um, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, Now, I, I ended up benching Rafinha. This is kind of hard to explain, really, to be honest with everyone, because I should have started him. And I actually, in my own head, had started him. This isn't one of these like sob stories where I swear I went on, I logged in and saved him into the position or anything. It's it's not that. What actually happened was there was some kind of like odd dissociation in my brain where I was just like, you know, Rafinha's injured. And when when I knew that he was not injured and he was on the bus, I was just like, oh, Rafinha is now in my team. And I didn't kind of, you know, join the, don't explain, I can't explain it. I did not join the dots together that I was like, oh, you right. must actually go and put Rafinha into your team. Um, I usually actually do the the thing where, you know, the bench wankery thing where I actually play a player that's injured. Um, if it's someone who I would like to play, like an Antonio a few weeks back, for example, I did that with. But for whatever reason, I didn't do that with Rafinha. I think actually because I was giving you the screenshot, Tom, for the pod last week for <laughs> for the slideshow that I was like, I swapped Maybe. around because the injured player. And I was like, well, these are the players that I have started. And then I just didn't fix it. I just saved that at the time, obviously. But I probably would have started uh, Rafinha over one of the defenders or Ben Rama. So it's kind of like mm. the other person who was on my bench is Alan. And Tom, you did say to your credit last week, isn't this the week you have to start Alan? But it's disgraceful, really, isn't it? No, no, it's actually there's there's three points to this, Tom. The first of all is he is definitely the best of the 4.5 midfielders. I think we have now decided that so much so that the world agrees and he's now 4.6. Great. Okay. He's chugging along nicely there. Now, this idea that this was the week to put him into the side, like, I don't think there is like a quote unquote week to put someone like Alan into the team. Like just because Everton are playing Norwich, it's like he's just as likely to be involved in any of their types of goals. Like he's not exactly like a consistently attacking threat. So it's just like the day it comes, you don't know. And honestly, least of all, did I think he'd win a penalty? Like of all the ways that I thought that Alan might be involved, it wasn't something that actually necessitated him being in the box because like not there too often. But anyway. There he was. He got those points as well. They were on the bench. I suspect they would have been marooned there no matter what. So I, I think I'm kind of crying over, you know, five, six points um, as opposed to, uh, you know, well, whatever I'm Alan would have added, uh, you yeah, know, making it yeah. up to 10, let's say, points or whatever. But uh, overall, just a slightly frustrating week because I guess those extra, let's say, five, six points, A, they make my air green. B, they kind of make the whole entire disaster that was Game Week 3 and the wild card a little bit less bad because I kept Rafinha through that and he is... He is a slight differential, you know, in the sense that like he isn't owned by about what 60% of teams. So he is still a bit of a differential for me. And I didn't get those, you know, quote unquote differential points that would have just helped me on a week like this, especially where it was low scoring. The captaincy is obviously frustrating. I went with the herd, I went with the algos. That's what my objectives are. And 
we'll probably get to that. Um, so I can't get too annoyed over that. I wasn't really tempted by Antonio and I wasn't all that tempted by Salah either. And I'm glad I didn't go for Lukaku in spite of, you know, he yeah. he had his offside. He had his offside goal. I think Chelsea, is, yeah. even though they're... Uh, even though their stats weren't particularly good, if you look at them on paper against City, I kind of feel like they were always just on the edge of a break that would have gone well for them. City ran a tightrope and it worked. On another day, that kind of picks off and maybe Lukaku gets something out of it. He didn't in the end, so at least I hadn't captained him. But it would have been as disappointing as Ronaldo, who is presumably now on penalties for Manchester United <laughs> if he wasn't uh, at maybe, the weekend. Yeah. And like, look, I'm a United fan, but like, you couldn't not laugh at the whole entire thing that played out with Emmy Martinez, obviously, but also just like the whole entire mind games of what went on between, you know, the, the let's say we would say the triumvirate of Martinez, uh, Fernandez and Ronaldo himself. <laughs> like uh, an amazing moment in football. Silly, really. Well, I think credit to you for fronting up. I mean, I did. Uh, I'm sure that other people would have said, "Oh, do you mind hiding that bench for me?" That's a bit of a mistake. I prefer not to talk talk about it. But, yep. Um, I can't imagine how annoyed you are. Um, I think we're both annoyed, mutually annoyed this week. So let's move on from that. Uh, let's move on to our objectives. Well, I'll do mine first. So, captain, tell me what Mikel tells me to do. I did that. Transfers and fifty fifty situation. Take the hit. I didn't have 50-50. And this ropey one, this woolly one, uh, take a chance on form. Um, arguably, I did screw up there, actually, um, because I probably should have moved in Saar and I probably should have had a look again at Edison's points. Um, I moved at that move last week. I probably should have thought about it a bit more because, I mean, we've, it's, it's kind of bandwagoning players and all this sort of stuff. And it's obviously very, very ropey. Um, but if I'm going to fulfill that kind of objective, I need to make those kinds of moves. And maybe that also brings in the 50 50 thing about taking a hit. Maybe I should have looked at bringing in Sarah and Edison. There's obviously the element of hindsight. I'd be up now if I'd done that move. But I guess I also felt like the two free transfers was much more needed this week um, yep. as in the week to come, especially looking at my bus team, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But my bus team's an absolute car crash, so it's probably better for that two free transfers. It depends how fastidiously we're applying these, like because I still think you're able to kind of at least say, you know, actually the long term, it wouldn't quite work for me to do that. And if I'm kind of just robotically doing... I think the captaincy one, I'll try to stick to it as much as I can. But with the transfers ones, there's got to be a bit of leeway, I think. So it's an interesting sort of challenge to see where we go to with these. I still think, though, by making a goalkeeper transfer, you in some way fulfill that one. You know, you didn't necessarily take a chance on, you know, something like form. But I still feel like you did move on that to some extent. And I don't think you'd be criticised for that one. Perhaps not. So, yeah, probably all right. Maybe next week I'll do something. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but maybe I'll do something where I actually transfer out Mikel's top captain. Um, which could be an intriguing sort of place to be. Uh, what about you? How did you get on this week? Yeah, so in terms of the captaincy, I did captain with the herd and the algorithms. I went with Ronaldo. I don't really regret that, to be honest. Uh, transfers, my second one is then don't be afraid to transfer out elite players if they've dropped off. I don't feel like we're really in that situation yet. Now, I know there is a bit of discussions about getting rid of Ronaldo, and so maybe I'm coming towards a point where I have to start considering that one right now, but I am certainly not going to consider one blank as a drop-off, and I'm certainly not going to consider it when he has Everton up next, um, to be honest. Uh, like Everton, like Everton, surely he can do something against Everton. Not that Everton are bad, I just feel like it's the sort of team that Ronaldo would score against. You know, they're just they're just your everyday, I don't know, Rio Vaticano type Aston Villa. team. Aston Villa, exactly the sort of team that Ronaldo would score against. They seem like your average sort of uh, Valladolid sort of team. 
yeah, yeah okay fair enough but like then we can have the but it's ronaldo mate in it and then we just <laughs> yeah. go back into the we go back into the extreme isn't it let's move yeah on. we go we go into yeah we go into the death cycle that like ronaldo kind of seems to bring about in discussions uh timings i didn't make transfers later late on a friday night or saturday morning because i just didn't make any transfers this week arguably i should have been a bit more kind of somehow mentally attuned going back to my review that I should have known about my bench I even looked at the team that morning I was like oh it's all above board it's fine uh but for whatever reason it just it didn't all like I I, I can't explain it folks I really can't explain it um and, like look I'm, I'm fronting up but I really can't explain it and then there's the max 10 hits in total still no hits taken this season I probably should have taken a few at this point but no hits have been taken so I am still on course to not take 10 hits over the course of this season perfect well Kind of on course. Let's see how that keeps going. Next up, Mini League update. 2IP, 4-3-T. This week, there's five people in the uh, top 10 who've still stayed there, but five new entrants. Ryan Quinn, he still managed to keep on top, Anthony. Took a minus four this week. Um, He moved uh, Torres out for Saar. Bamford out for Antonio, so he's up on that hit. Uh, 62 points, and he retains top spot. He's retained it by uh, just 10 points. In second, uh, Ryan Mackey. Uh, so another Ryan is, is now second. Ryan Angers, uh, just to compound the Ryan theme there. And another Antonio captaincy, actually. 68 points this week. In third, a newcomer uh, to the top 10. It's George Pipilis. Uh, sad at FPL Fulham. Uh, Captain Ronaldo this week, uh, 65 points, though. Um, fairly okay. Um, in fourth, it's the Koyawati kid, Gavin Smith, uh, 67 points. He's up from 45th um, all the way uh, up to fourth, which kind of shows the the small amount of points relatively over the course of the season. You need to get a pretty sizable green arrow this week. Up to fifth, it's Josh M of Benanrama, um, 56 this week. Uh, again, green arrow 56, wow. Um, and uh, joint fifth, actually, with him is Daniel Arkwoff, um, Akatak, 60 points, again, uh, up to 472. He's up from 20th into the top five this week, joint top five, I guess. In seventh, down from fourth, it's Naomi Nishimura, uh, Gnomes FC, just the 51 this week, unfortunately, for Naomi. In eighth, up from 62nd, Daniel Mind, 65 points. So, again... Not that much needed this week to make a proper move. Just around the top 10, down from third to ninth is Joshua Creed, Sarknado FC. Took a minus eight this week, captained Antonio, brought in Antonio, brought in Alonso and brought in Gray. Brought in Gray for Jota, sadly, brought in Alonso for Samedo, sadly. So um, that minus eight didn't work out as well as it might have been. And finally, in 10th, it's Boris Stoichkovic. Um, so last week, Boris captain Jota and, and lost his place in top five. And, and this week, he's again not done very well. Uh, 50 points this week, um, just about holds on in the top 10. But uh, yeah, four, six, eight points. They're still doing all right, to be fair. Um, it's just one of those, really. Um, so yeah, well done to everyone in top 10 in the Mini League. Interesting looking at that top 10, actually. There's just so many teams with Sa and Sar in the, in their teams, and they were really the reasons why so many people reached the 60s um, there this week. Uh, it's just, it's interesting to see that I presume these are all like the fruits of wild cards that have kind of come good and fair play to those managers. It's um, It's gone well for them and they're all absolutely flying right now. Speaking of Sa, he's dominating market forces, isn't he? Yes, Tom, he is. Well, not the most by far, but in terms, he's the only one who's managed to cross the 200k transfers in threshold. And so he's leading the way right now. But in fairness, he is quite closely followed by uh, an interesting mixture of both Marcus Alonso with 198k transfers in and uh, Mikel Antonio, who kind of you can't, you're splitting hairs between them. He has about 198k yeah, transfers close, in as well. It? it is indeed. Yeah. And then kind of after that, you're actually looking at Rudiger being the next most transferred in, which I guess 
shows people are starting to really buy into the idea that the Chelsea defence is what you need as their fixture shift comes along and that we're obviously going to get to that in a minute um, but yes um, an impressive enough uh, performance at the weekend for them albeit they didn't actually get the clean sheet there uh, Lukaku highly transferred in I think that's a real response to the fixture shift that's coming in Cancelo uh, and then actually the second most transferred in midfielder it's just interesting just because of who it is more than anything is Ben Rama um, which kind of seems a little bit late stage to me at this point um, but Okay, understandable at the same time that he's been brought in. He is still, I guess, for his price, um, going well in terms of points. Then when you're looking at transfers out, one man is a mile ahead and it's Luke Shaw. He has nearly 350,000 transfers out. And if you were listening to me guys from the start of this season, you would have never had to make this mistake in the first place. It's about the only call that I got right in preseason and that was the Luke Shaw thing. It was a bubble that just was never even worth getting into in the first place. And sure enough, that has proven to be the case. So You'd expect his price to fall um, if he hasn't been locked where things go through. But either way, he is certainly being sold in pretty big numbers. As United's fixtures do start to take a turn from here, and he's just been overall a disappointment, and there is so much competition, I guess, in his price bracket now from you know, far, you know, far better performing players. Uh, after him, then, you've actually got your man, Tom Ferran-Torres. He's the second most transferred out player. Uh, Bruno Fernandes and... Patrick Bamford are then the next most transferred out. After that, you're really kind of into the smatterings of players who have, you know, five figures in terms of transfers out. The, the likes of actually, interestingly, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Greenwood, Paul Pogba, and then looking at defenders, the second most transferred out, it's it's, it's pretty small numbers. It's, it's Shimakas with about 50k transfers out. Yeah, I think just there's a general reaction, isn't there, to uh, to, to the Luke Shaw situation, which is definitely <laughs> opening the door uh, to those Chelsea defenders we speak it, about it, just a bit. It's opening that this the situation, obviously, with him going off injured, but I think it's kind of that greater context about just how disappointing he's been. And I guess, you know, Bamford, I guess, being sold is just reaction to the injuries as well that went there. The Torres one is really, he's the real, mm-hmm. like, active, active player being sold. And I guess... This is obviously something we're going to be discussing in the relation to your team later, but obviously there's Liverpool away next, but then it's Burnley at home after the international break. I'm like, do you really want to have, you yeah. really do probably want to have Ferran Torres then, even if he only plays like 32 minutes. Yep, I'm probably going to be keeping him for that. All right, cool. Let's take a break there and move on to the main topic just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're getting into the main body of this podcast and we're getting into the main body of this podcast led by the most important thing this podcast has given to the planet and that is correspondence, which in this case actually came via DM, but for unusual circumstances comes to who got the assist at gmail.com via email. Anyway, this came in the mode, as I say, of a DM from Jimmy, aka at Claret FPL. And his question is basically asking of us about assessing the balance between being on the curve and ahead of the curve with fixture shifts. And he was basically questioning us as well when we were asking about this, about overcommitting to one team and to what extent maybe risk appetite has to do with overcommitting to one team, undercommitting to another. You know, at the end of the day, if you get all the chickens, put all your eggs in one basket and all those eggs hatch, you're flying. Um, but maybe you might want to just, uh, you know, mitigate the risk a little bit, spread things out, but probably end up with less chickens in the end, but at least you got some chickens. Uh, and this is kind of the, the question. Are you doing a really peak Mourinho sort of uh, thing there? You know, if you want to make a beautiful omelette, you've got to break the eggs. <laughs> this <laughs> this is true. That, that metaphor was, was, was extended 
to it a long way. Oh, nice bit of chicken um, to begin with, and then it became braised, and then it became chicken dippers, and then ultimately <laughs> became popcorn chicken. That's that's how warped it became. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and as long as it doesn't become wolves, it's all good. Yeah, that's the that's really the question that we kind of have at the heart of this question that Jimmy has asked us. And so I guess we might as well just take from there. You know, he sent on a good, nice question about this, but I think that is the heart of the question that we need to talk about. And it is assessing the balance between getting ahead of the curve and just being on the curve and being with the players that everyone else has and on template, I guess, in many senses, and then trying to get ahead of it. Ben Crellin's brilliant FDR render does show this. So over the next five weeks, um, up to the third international break, and um, there are a few individual teams you can kind of highlight. A few categories, perhaps, of fixture shift and how that all impacts. But at the moment, you might think it's true to say that Leeds and Wolves have an ongoing fixture shift. At the moment, they're in a purple patch. There's a new fixture shift emerging this week for the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal. And after international break, Man City and Southampton come in to a good run of games. Conversely, fixtures toughen for likes of United, but fixture shifts are always subjective and it's very much down to the eye of the beholder. And I guess this kind of you know leads us on to the key question this week, which is how much should we buy into fixture shifts? I mean, we'll come back to a more tactical kind of club breakdown very shortly. And in the questions as well, we'll deal with some kind of individual questions about players and how we rank them, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's good to have a general chat about fixture shifts to begin with. I guess the idea links into all of the core tenets of the FPL experience, doesn't it? Transfer decisions, captaincy choices, form versus fixture. You know, one of the most well-wrought questions, arguments around which we see every year. Uh, fixture shifts tend to drive the discussion forward. You know, last week certainly felt like a holding week for many, um, given the low average, uh, and often can mark a real sea change in a manager's fortunes, or at least we hope. Jumping on early, for example, can make a season and you could leave the doubters behind. Um, whereas I guess, you know, if it goes the other way, form could overpower the fixture, as we saw last year with Kane and Son. There were many, including me, sold them on our early wild cards, which led to ruin if you were a prime mover. Um, as Anthony mentioned, it would be a predominantly qualitative discussion just because it's so dodgy to go back in time and chart old versus new shifts, you know, points scored before and points scored after for the particular teams, because you are looking at it through the lens of hindsight. Creating that sense of benchmark would be something that I would not endorse, I don't think. Um, but yeah, we've got a couple of uh, the questions to talk about on this. Obviously, the, the question from Jimmy the Claret, and also the que- a question from uh, our friend Hindu Monkey, um, who asked, how much should we sacrifice to get the team we want from game week eight? Would you advise it's best to be patient right now, or is it best to just kind of go in uh, to the likes of Chelsea and City? So how much should we jump into this fixture run? I mean, Anthony, getting ahead of the curve versus missing points to the status quo, where do you stand on that? Obviously, you have to stand somewhere in between, and that's kind of the thing that we're <laughs> trying to fight for in the middle of all this, isn't it? Yeah. But I think what this really comes down to is a question, in this case for me anyway, of how you go about transfers. And in this sense, maybe I might try to draw some sort of line between the types of players that we might be transferring. So when we're looking at premiums, I think frequently, you know, in our daydreams, we're led by fixtures. But in reality, we're, we kind of have to try and keep in mind that players are fixture proof. And this is something, for example, that we've already seen at the start of this season um, going really poorly for me when I tried to move off, you know, quote unquote, fixture proof players to try and get onto other premium players who just had better fixtures. In my case, it was getting on Lukaku early and getting on Kane when Spurs had two good fixtures and he scored twice in one game on his return to Europa League action for Spurs. And it was, it was going to be heroic. It was going to be amazing. It didn't go well at all. Um, 
And this is kind of the type of thing that with premiums you have to consider, are they so good that the fixture doesn't matter? Then when we may be tying into other podcasts that we've recorded talking about the supporting cast, you know, the extras, with them, I think much more so we are led by fixture swings because it that is where your mid-table teams who have standout performers are talisman or where your elite teams who we expect to really pile on and to have other players who are returning. So, you know, the Jatas, the Benramas and the Rafinhas of this world kind of, you know, coagulate into this like greater mass. And I think those types of transfers, we can very often be led. And I think justifiably so by fixtures, as well as obviously keeping in mind form. I think where fixtures can really, really drive us is where we're trying to figure out what to do with like really budget bargain basement positions where we're just hoping to get like, you know, it might be 12 extra points over a five week time horizon versus, you know, the other options in the template in this area. And I think, for example, in recent weeks and something that I think will illustrate this point is with defenders around the kind of like 4.5 ish range. If you brought in the likes of Ben White or some other Arsenal defender who was cheap, Timmy Yassi, for example, or if you brought in someone like Connor Cody or even Sa for that, you know, if you want to just extend it into into goalkeepers just for the sake of the argument, because they had good fixtures coming, you have actually been quite well rewarded. So, for example, in my own wildcard, I made sure to have Cody and I made sure to have uh, Ben White, even like. I sold him out when he was 4.5 and brought him back in when he was 4.4. But I made sure to have him because there was a few good fixtures in there for Arsenal. And even though Arsenal at that point in the first, you know, three game weeks or two game weeks had had a disastrous start, you were still thinking, well, you know, that defence should keep a clean sheet somewhere along there. He'll probably outperform some other character. I guess the the converse argument to this is that we might have thought the same thing about our Leeds defenders and many of us would have got ailing in, um, for example, over the last few weeks. That has gone poorly when looking at fixtures alone. But when you're looking at you know, teams that have, let's say, 4.5 defenders, very rarely are you you know looking at, you know, quote-unquote, fixture-proof defences in the way that someone like City's defence is, in the way that someone like Chelsea's defence is, or even Liverpool's defence. And this is why, you mm. know, when we get a, a Shimakas-type option emerging, it's like, or a Rudiger last season emerging yeah. as a really cheap entry into those defences, it's gold dust. But that doesn't happen too frequently. And so I think that's where, you know, getting ahead of the curve makes an awful lot of sense. But... It's with those premiums and to a lesser extent with those uh, sidemen. You have to be a bit more careful with, you know, selling out points before they've necessarily dried up. Sure. So I guess you almost advocate leaving the big boys be and play around, move around deck chairs on the Titanic when it comes to the little guys and try to get ahead of that curve. I guess to make it all about me. But I'm in line with market forces three, four, and five on this. This question of how much should we buy into fixture swings actually does key into the thing I'm doing this week, which is effectively moving my premium striker across from Ronaldo to Lukaku. No, that's not your problem because you've got both of them. Uh, but for me, it is alongside finally, finally bailing on Shaw for a Chelsea defender. And you were right on this. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to be, oh, no, I, I, I always kind of said that I wouldn't be right. No, I, I, you're very right on this. I'm... Yeah, not been very happy with Shaw. And I'm very tempted to use both free transfers to sell him, buy him back and sell him again for the satisfaction of boosting him out properly in that sort of ceremony. Um, but I guess that this CR7 sale is the biggie. But it's Ronaldo. 
no, let's just not go into that. Um, but what I will say is that um, I highlighted quite a few times on past pods that picking up your premiums to correspond with the fixtures is the kind of strategy which appealed to me this year, an aggressive targeted strategy. And I guess the idea is to turn things on its head. So you said earlier about keeping the mid-price talisman as you're sort of moving around deck cherries sort of area and keeping those premiums in, so assuming the form is going to kind of stay there with them, they can be fixture-proof. This year, what I'm doing is looking at moving on the premium when the fixtures do kind of um well not all the premiums i'm probably keeping selling them out what but moving mm-hmm. on one of the premiums when the fixtures suit and keep the mm-hmm. rest of the team as solid as possible and look for investments in the long term if i'm picking up a short-term kind of target so i guess you said earlier on it comes down to how you go about transfers and i guess this year i'm going to be taking it a little bit differently just because i guess my my risk appetite is fairly high i'm kind of okay with doing that mm-hmm. It is interesting because I think maybe what part of what is guiding your approach and what enables your approach in many ways is the fact that you haven't got a thremium setup. And so when I have a thremium setup, I have an awful lot more deck chairs to move around. Whereas um, for you, I guess, because you've just got your two premiums, you've got a few extra set and forget, you know, players who are in that, like, I'm going to call it yeah. six to eight million bracket that you, yeah. you don't necessarily have to move. Whereas for me, it's like I'm constantly trying to find a way to get points out of those um, to try and justify the fact that I have that premium. And we've, we've discussed that in a previous pod, if you want to go and <laughs> dig it up. But that is, you know, the, the sacrifice at the heart of it. But this is, I guess, part of the knock-on effect of it is just how the extent to which I have to buy into fixture shifts with my extras uh, if I want to be able to try and keep up and to kind of indulge my premium setup. It's a fascinating contrast, actually, if you're in full sort of FPL nerd theory crafting mode about how like mirror image effectively our teams are that I'm messing around with the big boys and you're all kind of messing around with the deck chairs. I mean, that's... uh... I did one dose of messing around with the big players and it just blew up in my face so horribly that you know i'm trying to pursue a different strategy for a few weeks but you know i'm not no more than any time tom i'm not tied to this um and i could so i could so easily just move down to a a duomium for whatever word we're going to use for two two dog i think probably is one way of thinking i I guess if you are in that setup like i am what i return to every time is talisman theory and uh, i mean even with the premiums we know that and picking up a premium in the target time frame tends to be a good idea i mean there's always the fix informed debate which we're probably not going to have time really to go into here maybe we'll speak about a little bit but i mean fixtures tend to beget form whatever the hell that is and um, but for lukaku now over the next five he's got southampton brentford norwich newcastle and burnley those are all brilliant fixtures especially for a team which is going to be challenging for the title I and mean, that's an obvious point but something that you could easily overlook if you're un- indulging mental gymnastics for why you shouldn't buy lukaku in in contrast united play everton leicester liverpool spurs and city in the next five and so i think it's reasonable to think that there's there will be more goals in the Chelsea games than United games. Um, mm-hmm. And I was also surprised by how similar Lukaku and Ronaldo have been over the first three games back. Similar mm-hmm. problems for XG, shots, shots, and more, et cetera. But Rom has a couple of extra avenues to points. Mm-hmm. And he's, of course, creating more. Um, so he's created a chance every 50 minutes in Spirit XA. We don't know if he'll be on penalties yet. It may well blow up my face, Anthony, and you, you may well um, kind of be gloating from, from your premium, uh, freemium uh, ivory tower. Um, but I think there's a lot of very, very valid arguments to make the move this week from Ronaldo to Lukaku, but I understand people are kind of holding off. You know, uh, Late Riser tweeted this week about fear and how that can create a, a certain way of moving, and maybe there's an element of that. Um, but, you know, United versus Villa, 
people said, oh, we never had those shots or 20 plus shots. So therefore they must be doing something. Their XG for play was just 0.96. And so I'm yeah. hoping, no, I'm thinking this the is same a... story, maybe. I think it might be the same story versus Everton, but maybe wrong. I don't want to get too into the weeds on Manchester United and how they should be lined out or anything. But I do feel like there's more than enough tools there to get far better results on the pitch out of them. I even think, and I'm I'm not an all out person, I think that he can even uh, make that happen. You know, I don't want to say even because that makes it sound like I doubt him or I'm condescending. I actually quite like the project still. And I'm, you know, I'll, this theme park Man United with all the um, harking back to glory years is just what I need. It's just a tonic. And so I will try and, you know, perform any sorts of mental gymnastics to kind of buy into it. And so with that in mind, I'm kind of the, but it's Ronaldo mate side of my head is winning out for another while, at least. I feel like I can, I can certainly sustain him uh, through the next two weeks anyway, and we'll see where we go from there. Maybe I'll bring us back to that question from Hindu Monkey that we didn't quite um, pretty get into. And he was, I guess this brings us more towards team oriented questions for a second, but he was asking about how much should we sacrifice to get the team we want from week eight. And I guess what this is really getting at is the questions of Chelsea's run and uh, the strength of City's defence. And I guess this primarily is a defensive question because Chelsea, it's Lukaku plus defenders is what you're really going to be thinking about from game week eight. I know people will argue and they might talk about some other midfielders, but I, I feel like this is where the zeitgeist should be. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, I think, you know, I think hits, uh, he was asking whether hits would be advisable for that. And I think hits may be inevitable to fund moves for premium assets, the likes of, I think in this case, Lukaku is who I'm thinking about. If that's You need to do that to somehow move around the funds. Uh, for example, if you wanted to maintain a premium setup, uh, I feel like it's totally valid to take hits to get in Lukaku. But to take hits to get in some of those defenders, I'm not quite sure it's worth that risk. And this is always something we talk about. There's no point taking hits for defenders. And it is because, like, by and large, if some if a game goes well for a defender, they get a clean sheet, they get that, they play the whole game, they get their six points. And if there's a bonus or something on top of that, great. But you're kind of into bonus, you're into literal bonus territory from there. And you can't really bank on it. And so it's like, kind of feel like no matter what you're doing, unless it's someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has like really, really high ceiling. And I, short of Marcus Alonso, and you can have your own questions about his game time, uh, none of the other Chelsea defenders really fulfill that criteria. Uh, so I think instead you can kind of plan to mitigate the risk and get those Chelsea defenders or City defenders in kind of on on drip feed basis and like just for example you have most of you i presume have players in your team who will fill up your defensive slots and you'll presumably then have the good midfielders and forwards to fill out your 11 you know brighton for example have a very good fixture still in game week eight even if uh, things are switching against them that's a way to norwich wolves their defender their fixtures are still fine for the next five a lot of you just even looking at the mini league still have wolves defenders um, if not two of them so you'll be fine livramento is one of the players who we were talking about who um, his team, Southampton, are going through a fixture shift. So he's probably going to be just there easily to put into your side. And so I don't feel you need to rush and take hits to get in defenders in the way that you might justifiably do so to get in a Lukaku. Or if you want to take a risk on some Mares, Torres, whoever else character in your city attack. I guess it kind of reflects what we said last week in terms of the defenders. And uh, I think Surya was saying, all about FPL, when the guest last week was saying about him, and I think we agreed so them being a long-term sort of investment and that being one where we were less likely to kind of go for the hit because they're like sort of less sexy sort of thing as, as you did with Anthony, like them providing you an upside on that hit, perhaps there's lesser chance of that going on, especially for bringing the centre back. And 
I guess in answer to Hindu Monkey, I actually am taking hit this week in my first season, in fact, um, because I think it will help with onward moves such as targeting the Man City defence. So I'm not taking a hit for a defender, but I'm taking a hit to set up buying a defender soon. Yeah, I feel like that's a proper like lawyer's argument, isn't it, Anthony? But, um, yeah, one, kind of one, I'd, one, I'd, one I'd appreciate, but like, it, you know, it is part of this yeah. whole entire thing is uh, getting in a premium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> I, I, I think just I think just in general with, with this lot, I mean, um, people will kind of be thinking, oh, you know, well, you know, should you even be buying these players? Because it's all it's all a risk, you know. You there's all rotation. I mean, is it worth it with City and Chelsea? And there's an interesting dynamic now in FPL with you know, we always had City being that team uh, with the Pep Roulette, but the the, the tuckle tuckle tushel tuckle whatever it is, Tom Bowler, and um, with this trait to rotate is also there. Um, and you know, sometimes you are going to get one, two, or you know, God forbid, three missing. But that's the price you pay for you know, over the course of you know seven or eight weeks. If you look at it like long-term investment, those players paying off over that time frame. And as I said in the correspondence a couple of weeks ago, so we were also at Man City a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? Um, mm-hmm. It's all about risk profiling and risk appetite. How much risk do you want to take on? What price do you want to pay to take on that risk effectively? And the judgment, you know, from a listener's perspective, from an FFO manager's perspective, needs to meet your appetite. So don't do something like tripling down on Man City's attack or something if you're a manager prone to meltdowns, for example. It's the sort of thing you shouldn't do. Um, but certainly, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting time of year. I mean, let's look at a few of these sort of, you know, individual sort of fixture shifts, shall we? Um, I mentioned a couple of them earlier on, um, but I would say I, I think the data set has graduated from small it's a fairly small now, six, um, but caveats still apply. I wouldn't be making sweeping generalizations about this, um, but let's consider a few teams briefly. Um, so on the run now um, on uh, our Leeds and Wolves. Um, so Leeds, the next five are Watford, Southampton, Wolves, Norwich and Leicester. And Wolves' next five are Newcastle, Aston Villa, Leeds, Everton, Crystal Palace. So a sea of green, um, as the colloquialism goes. Um, and to start with Leeds, you know, a very exciting game versus West Ham. Uh, Rafinha was he's just so good for 6.5. Sorry, Anthony. Um, took his goal well. And I, um, I, I agree. He's in my squad, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to be fair, he, um, squad. <laughs> to be fair, he should have scored um, more points. He should have punished you more because click. That was a big miss uh, when Rafinha fed him. Um, but despite their good fixtures, I think my investment position as it were on them is that I don't really want more beyond Rafinha I Mm -hmm. I think it was really interesting that you know before this run happened and we kind of knew all the context of how Leeds would unfold this season they still haven't won yet and we were all kind of thinking oh you know we could have Bamford we could have uh, Rafinha maybe we're looking you know likes of you know Furpo you know whatever if he gets off to a good start Um, but I haven't really got any interest in them beyond that uh, only just the 6.5 Rafinha, amazing value. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. But what we didn't know about the context of Leeds when we were kind of looking at Leeds um, when the fixtures were announced, and even you know a few weeks ago when we started, to, let's say, buy in a few of these players on wildcards or whatever it might have been, you know, even against West Ham, they were down three centre halves and Patrick Bamford. You know, like that's an awful lot to gut from a team that were at the end of the day still promoted last year. And we've seen yeah. we've seen plenty of teams get promoted, have a good season, struggle in the second season. Yeah. I'm not saying that they have second season syndrome. I'm not even saying that they look jaded or any of that nonsense. I actually don't think they do. I actually think they look fine. I just feel that they are a team that are so delicately poised and so 
frequently, you know, got over the line because of, you know, moments of not necessarily moments of brilliance. I don't want to degrade them like that. You know, the system that they have working out really well against teams that were about as good as them, you know, on paper, but whom that they were able to outmatch. And I feel like when you've just consistently got so many key parts of this system out, as we've seen all through their run and all through the start of this season, that's going to affect them. And I feel like this will turn around for them eventually. I hope it's soon because I, I just kind of like the project that's there. And maybe switching us across to the other side of the teams who are on a good run now into Wolves, because I think that's where we maybe have more to discuss because that's where there are definitely uh, FPL assets. We were only talking about it in terms of the mini league a few minutes ago where the likes of Sa and Semido and Cody and Marchal are all like, they're all he's they're popular in a lot of teams, and then quite a few teams have the likes of uh, Jimenez and also Triore uh, for some reason. Uh, so with Wolves, I think what's interesting for me is that since they came into their fixture shift, which is three game weeks ago, and so you know caveat, caveat, little data, etc. Uh, only five teams like cumulatively have scored more FPL points than them: uh, Villa, and then it's Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Man City. So we have seen them, you know, actually generating FPL points since their fixtures turned, um, even though the results haven't exactly been like extraordinarily good for them. Uh, most of those, though, it's no secret, are coming from their defense. And so I guess that's where we need to be kind of considering buying into them. Yeah. And I think that's entirely justified. Um, you know, <laughs> go for Wolves, probably don't go for Leeds. Rafinha good, Rafinha talisman, Rafinha can do things, <laughs> even if the team isn't working out. And that's that's great. It's a great option to have. And as you say, Tom, he's great value for 6.5. I would highly advise you to have him in your squad and to definitely start him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, plenty yeah, of good options. There's none of that going on at Wolves at the moment, but there is obviously that solid defence you mentioned. And there are huge gains for many this week. They still remain kind of, you know, on FPL, on live rank, a star um, ownership. And um, mm-hmm. so shout out to our mate FPL Brain and FPL Kaza, both of them really smashed it this round through having a double uh, defence or having Jimenez. I think Kaza actually had two defenders and Jimenez, so probably went for it there. I mean, mm-hmm. Wolves only against Southampton they actually only had five attempts in that game uh, Southampton 18 um, but that's literally that's the, that's the not having Triore effect yeah, yeah that's it 20 shots conceded uh, only six on target um, so Wolves are now creeping up like defensive table we said a few weeks ago you know they're looking pretty good um, but they're still actually second from bottom for the big chance conceded um, and also a joint second from bottom that is so a few other clubs in there and also conceded next year only um, every 97 minutes or so so they're third bottom for that metric too very good defensive data and obviously Jimenez took his chance very happy for him um, but I think that that was probably it's fair to say his clearest chance apart from that one header a minute while ago um, I think with them I'd be happy with one defender maybe two but I think maybe one defender people are going to be jumping on that um, in reference to what Anthony has said obviously I wish I'd found room for Saar last week but I was only going to take one um, one free transfer so I'm not going to kind of should have really could have myself about that um, I mean I guess we did kind of ask the question last week about if Wolves were a false positive and we maybe got thrown by them being torn into by Tony a bit I guess it kind of shows the the kind of the, the volatility of things early on in the season um, but I mean Newcastle one next and um, that's probably a game that which you may be thinking oh you know if you've got a, an ailing or something to move on you may be looking to kind of jump across to someone like Cody or maybe someone you know like Marcel if you can afford it. Yeah, perhaps. But at the same time, like I don't think I'd be selling Luke Gating when unless the injury issue proves to be a bit more than it is uh, with Watford up next. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think with that 
Wolves with the Wolves players, yeah, sure, Newcastle. But then you're like, oh, what about uh, Alexander Maximan? That could be a problem, and it could, like, it really could. And that's you know, that <laughs> this is the problem that many teams can. find. <laughs> this is the team. This is the problem that many teams encounter when they play against Newcastle. That you kind of write them off, and then suddenly they somehow find a way to score. Usually thanks to something that Sam Maxman has done, at least along the way, if not directly, um, in the way to getting that goal. Yeah. Just before we move into just other teams that are kind of, you know, shifting now towards fixture sets, I think it's important to look at a team, one player, I guess, in particular, who has just kind of moved out of it, and that was uh, Mikel Antonio. We were kind of poised to discuss him in this, because I, I guess West Ham had good fixtures, and he is kind of often going to be the player that might be the fall guy for you to fund moves towards, let's say, the teams who are getting good fixtures now, the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal, or even to get towards uh, someone who's already on a good run, such as, I guess, Jimenez at Wolves or, you know, Wang or something. I don't think this is time to sell Antonio. And uh, I think we were kind of talking about this last week, Tom, that, you know, people probably should hold him for Leeds, we were saying. And I think people should continue to hold him, you know, just even in that Leeds game. Yeah. You know, he like he was top in the, uh, the whole entire game week for shots in the box uh, in week three, or for this game week, game week six. He's third for XG as well. Like the fixtures are turning. I can totally understand why you'd sell a Ben Rama or another West Ham player like a Soufal that you might have had. But an informed striker like him at the price that he's at, who can score goals, in a very a bit like what I was saying previously about Rafinha, who can score without necessarily much team play helping him along the way, I think is somebody who you might want to keep. Brentford up next, they're not impregnable. Everton, I don't think are impregnable. Spurs, certainly not impregnable. And then Villa, who are, you know, whatever. We don't know what's going to happen in game week 10, three weeks away. Not yeah, too yeah. worried about it. And to be honest, I could see Antonio scoring against them. So, yeah, just not one to sell. Yeah, a veritable ex-goat and... Um... If you heard him in his interview after the game when he said I was played through and there was no doubt it was going in, I mean that's uh, he he even acknowledged that he was in great form. Footballers think they're in form, amazing, wow. And except see in the mud. All right, let's move on to shifting now then. Um, and uh, Chelsea obviously are shifting now. Um, I'm probably going to be doubling up on their defence, let's face it. Um, in only six weeks, um, they have played Liverpool and City. Uh, their defence data is actually a bit squiffy. Um, I expect to find them down the data set in terms of you know shots conceded, the analog and the expected. But they're mid-table for shots conceded and things like this. And they've actually conceded more big chances than the likes of Palace, Everton, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think three big chances, for example, conceded versus City, which skews it a bit. Um, but another interesting stat: so they've only conceded two goals. But have next you see of seven, so it's a five-goal underperformance in terms of what overperformance, I guess, actually defended defensively in terms of what they should have uh, should have done. So it's obviously the tiresome. Are they overperforming? Kind of shtick we could go into, um, but there's a reason I think that they aren't um, conceding as many, uh, which is Edouard Mendy. He's third for saves per game, as well as being third for expected goals conceded. Um, the third bottom that is for expected goals conceded per game. So um, he's making lots of save. And as Liverpool's defence has borne testament to in recent years, having an elite goalkeeper behind a defence, which is very good, um, is pretty handy effectively. So I'm happy to get the double chance defence in with Southampton, Brentford, Norwich, Newcastle and Burnley to come, as I mentioned earlier. I, I think that that's kind of a nice thing to do. And as Anthony mentioned earlier, that should probably be a zeitgeist move, shouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think so. It, it totally makes an awful lot of sense to me. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, the expected data especially is a little bit errant there in that, you know, sure, they've, you know, they conceded an awful lot of let's say, you know, shots from outside. or in, So they've got a lot of shots from inside the box, which at the end of the day, I don't think seemed all that threatening if you're just watching the Chelsea games. Like even against City, you didn't think that City created 
all that many chances against them if you were watching it. Uh, the Grealish one you know, sticks in my mind. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the goal really was... It was just on for Chelsea. It was a bit unlucky, wasn't it? Because it was mm-hmm. a Cancelo shot, wasn't it, which broke the yeah. line. And just, there was just, a moment when they all sort of, you know, I'm on FIFA and everyone sort of, you know, um, hesitates for a moment. I think that's also what happened with the Man City defense. They weren't too short to do, and Jesus got, but I think a little bit lucky as well, even though he all credit has to go to him for that goal. Yeah, so it's just it's kind of interesting that if we're saying if we're citing that game against City as one where their data was skewed, and of course the Liverpool game is one maybe where you know you could suggest their data is a bit skewed as well because they had a sending off. You know, it's like the, the you know in that sense, I think that that Chelsea defense is better than the data suggests. If anything, yeah, I mean, you know, the yeah. fact that they've the fact that they've overperformed in some ways, <laughs> yeah. I think is you know it maybe balances against the fact of the type of games they've played. I think they're all's on and somehow even and fair in the way it's kind of got to that point even if how it got there isn't necessarily how you might have modeled it to yeah uh, is what i'm saying with that it gets dangerous if we start to do like exemptions and things like that too much it does it does it does and there's only been six game weeks and i've just managed to knock out two of them so yeah (laughs) we'll we'll talk about specific uh choice defense just a bit low low. two came in last season they were one of the best Fences almost immediately uh, second half of the season they were the best in the league aside from besides yeah. city they're continuing that at the end yeah. right um, and the other one in this sort of shifting now category is arsenal and um, so we have uh, brighton crystal palace aston villa leicester and watford um over the next five um obviously a very deserved win versus spurs um this weekend yeah, it was a bit of a split season thus far. And um, so we're actually fourth from bottom in terms of XGC um, over the last six weeks. Um, the Chelsea and Man City games bring to mind we got comprehensively taken apart. But the last two weeks, there's been a dramatic improvement at the back, of course, because we were playing Norwich and Burnley. Um, so the jury's about um, how it's going to go going forward. We did do pretty well against Spurs as well. The fixtures are great. And there's a fair few kind of cheap neighbours around, um, like White and Tierney at the back, and ESR, and obviously Saka as well. Um, another FPL brain, Galaxy brain pick there, Saka, dear me. I guess, you know, the eyes can be turning towards those sort of players, Anthony. And you've got White, haven't you? I, I do have White. And I, I do feel like I'm quite happy to have my, my one Arsenal defender that's quite cheap. I think um, Tommy Isu is one who you didn't mention there is like a, a cheap option in that yeah. defence. And I think, you know, he's um, as good as much as worth mentioning as White um, in this scenario. I think you know, they both kind it's, of it's offer... It's just the 0.1 that saving... It's the 0.1. It's the 0.1. It's, 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 the well, it's a bit no-brainer, isn't it, at that point? Um, but yeah, but uh, a little bit Tommy, but not as much as you... Yeah. Yeah, not not as much as like a classic um, fullback or anything like it. You know, he's much more there to tuck in to make that a back three and to enable forward movement than he is to uh, get forward and of himself. And you know, his kind of eye catching—did he hit the post or did he just neck hit it over the bar with that volley? I think yeah, it's kind of sticking volley, in our yeah, head yeah. as a kind of yeah. There's a bit of an availability heuristic affecting kind of our thoughts of Tommy Yusuf getting forward, but I think overall he's not doing it that much. I'm no Arsenal expert, but yeah, uh, Ramsdale as well there at four point five is a bit of an option. But I think it is really in the the midfielders where we might really like focus a little bit of discussion first of all with Saka who kind of you know obviously had an eye-catching game at the weekend in terms of returns and stuff as well but it's quite interesting I just had a look at the data for midfielders in the last three game weeks for midfielders now that that are priced under 7 million so three game weeks window window caveat caveat two Arsenal played worry worry etc but I did think it was quite interesting to see with Saka that he um, in this bracket was top for shots in the box obviously scored once but he had eight shots in the box and like you won't find you find plenty of midfielders in this bracket the likes of Tielemans and Ben Rama who have shots um, at about the same level as Saka so Saka said nine uh, Tielemans and Ben Rama ten each 
But Saka, eight of his nine came in the box. For Tiedemans, it's just a pair. And for Ben Rama, it's just one shot in the box. So it's like, then you start to see that he is just getting forward at a way that you just don't expect at this level. For obviously a team who've done well against teams, uh, if I troll, I would say at their level. Um, if I was to be a bit more realistic, I would say, you know, who they should be beating. Yeah. Um, but the thing about Saka, of course, and these are all things we know, but I think it's just interesting to see in the data in this sub 7 million midfielder category over the last three game weeks. Saka's joint third in terms of key passes as well. And it's obviously resulted in two assists. You know, this is obviously promising as well. Now, when you look at Arsenal midfielders, you'd actually see that it's actually Odegaard who's the one that's creating kind of like gross terms key passes. Yeah, yeah. But it's Saka's oh, yeah, Saka's yeah. yeah, but it's Saka's the one who's finding himself in the box more frequently. Yeah, and Saka's the one that I think you should be interested in. ESR, obviously he's 5.3, so he's not quite a bit cheaper than Saka's 6.2. That's 0.9 in the difference for the math whizzes out there. And <laughs> what's interesting about ESR, I guess, is that like I test wise, he is super good and he's obviously oh, very oh, cheap. We, we need to bring in them Adam Pritchard here. Um, because okay, he, go he, for he, it. He, yes. he, did, he did say to us, I guess the real question is this week, how many Arsenal players do we buy now and should the OFPO expand the limit on the number of players we can own from one team in order to accommodate the massive demand from for Arsenal it, players? Huge, he, huge, he was, huge demand from certain parts of North London. <laughs> waxing lyrical about ESR um, on, on our Slack, wasn't he? Just, he was. I told you so. I told you so. I told you but, he'd break into the box and all this sort of thing. I know, but like, it's a great, like he did. And for 5.3, he provides about as much goal threat as you would wish for and about as much creativity as you could wish for at 5.3. But the thing is, is that like, he is, you know, by far and away, statistically an inferior pick to Saka for example. And so it's like, if you were trying to make a decision, I think you'd find a way to stretch to Saka to get him in. ESR, a good enabler. But I think at that point, if you just wanted to try and find money to put elsewhere in your team, and I think that's 0.8 or it's actually 0.7 now to get like an, just to put Alan instead as a placeholder and to allow you to put money elsewhere. I think it's worth it. Like much as I really, really like ESR as a player, I just don't feel like he's got everything we need uh, statistically statistically to merit putting into our sides if you had a different team structure to me maybe yeah. it's possible but i think especially if you're running two or three premiums or a very premium defense i just don't know how you're going to also find the money to accommodate esr unless he's your genuinely your cheapest midfielder and oh yeah i think you, you can do it yeah i think but my current transfer thinking this week is around the midfielder around esr's price um but yeah i, I think it, it it's obviously team dependent because i think everyone i think most people would agree that my my, my beautiful boy saka is the one you want to be buying it and um over esr who's a great player or at least has the potential to be a great player i mean so that's very red tinted glasses for me that's very rare i apologize and um, but at the same time like the moment I probably saw going to be Saka over him, judging by the data you've cited, and the same data I've got in front of me, so um, I don't, mm. I'm not going to repeat that. But yeah, no, um, I think it'd be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. And Arsenal last year, second half of the year, were very, very solid defensively, had a very, very rocky start. But maybe the likes of uh, Tomiyasu, the likes of White, the likes of Tierney are going to start kind of giving returns. And you know, Ramsdale was one who was in the mix for me, but I wasn't too sure. Right, let's move on to those shifting after IB, a couple of teams here. And um, we'll speak about Man City in just a minute. Uh, but Southampton, um, one who um, perhaps are going to be entering people's thoughts through the enabler window so uh, they got Chelsea next so I wouldn't be buying them in very much apart from maybe if you're looking at a Goops-esque Livermento grudge match or he's got scores against the old club etc after international break they've got a uh, free home fixture in four Leeds Burnley Watford Naston Villa 
I guess uh, Armstrong, the striker Armstrong that is, and Livramento are the two that people have been buying in. And Livramento on the eye test this weekend was very impressive, actually, wasn't he? It's it's very hard to ignore. And of course, like you could say everything that you want to say about his eye test and his underlying stats and everything. To be perfectly honest with you, there's only one reason why you want Livramento into your team. It's, it's his price, you know, like he's just so easy to get into your team. He enables you to do so much. He's 4.2 now. A lot of us would have got him at 4 or 4.1. He's still a bargain at 4.2, especially with those fixtures coming along. And he's just worth having. And like, yeah. there's no point arguing any other things about him. It's just like, when Southampton have good fixtures he has a chance at a clean sheet you probably will have if you're especially if you're kind of reacting to these fixtures you're probably going to end up with three premium defenders anyway so it's you know it's it's probably going to be a formation change if you want to accommodate him the week that you think that he might outperform your your third striker or your fourth and fifth midfielders or whatever it might be great if you have him and you might as well armstrong is maybe the thornier one in this because i guess if you're running something like me with the premium then there's probably no space for him. With Ronaldo, Lukaku and Antonio, it's very hard to... The thing is, though, if you're running a... Uh, what did you call it? A two-dog or a duomium, as I, I'm going to just continue to duomium, call it. Duomium. Right? So it sounds yeah. like a new chemical element which is discovered yeah. by FPL scientists. Yeah, exactly. If you're running the duomium and holding it with your arm strong, then, you know, I, I think I can kind of see why you might want to have him as that third striker role. There's, you know, there's quite a few players who are kind of vying for that enabler spot without shouting too loudly yeah. your man Dennis is another one of them Tom who's obviously cheaper again but he, but, he's 5.2 so he's like yeah much cheaper that. 6.0 yes. that's getting into probably need to play territory and that also gets into I'm going to compare him to the midfielders I can get that price territory. And, that's, and that means and that means you're getting into the like are you really going to be playing De- uh, Armstrong and not playing Rafinha or not playing yeah. Connor Gallagher or not play yeah there's this is where it starts to get quite thorny and where it's maybe if you just if you just don't get him at all you just avoid all the heartbreak completely and at yep. the, the end of the day there's plenty of midfielders who offer about the same threat as him who get more points for their goals and who probably te- you know in a team structure sense uh, actually just kind of suit you more and I think that's the problem with uh, Armstrong it's not so much him as the player it's just where we're at with FPL in terms of prices and where we're putting our money this season yeah exactly right I think that's one for for later us to think about and probably Livermento is going to be the one I can't at the moment see anyone jumping out at me but maybe Elianusi at 5.5 has played again has been doing all right but we're you know you really are kind of looking at kind of ultra differentials who could come off for you one week um into City though um so Liverpool uh up next obviously not probably a game you're going to be investing in unless you're wild carding uh, but after international break you've got that nice free uh Burnley Brighton and Crystal Palace before the Man United the Manchester Derby um I think last week um we highlighted their defense um they've now only conceded 0.33 big chances per game this season um and they've kept a clean sheet every single game um and Cancelo um I, I said last week he was the most unlucky defender in FPL um it's all even out now with that assist and he's gotten at least six points per game over the, the first few kind of game weeks and I, I guess he's the one that I'm going to be looking at for the reasons I expressed last week I bet we'll all jump in on him and that's when Zinchenko starts in game week eight or something like that there'll be a reason for some reason that Pep wants to play him um but I, I guess the question, actually, I've got for you, Anthony, even though it probably is a bit pejorative, did we all mess up by ignoring Man City to begin with? Because is this a surprise to anyone looking at Man City's defensive fixtures, which we spoke about a lot during pre-season, and yet neither of us decided to bring one in? Like, are we just idiots for not doing so? In many senses, we are. Uh, but I don't think people needed to cite the Man City example to be able to suggest that. 
the the thing is is that like oh, Jesus, I I like I really was gonna have a city defender in this the ill-fated game week three wildcard, but it just didn't didn't go for it and tried to get yeah. Ben Rama in instead. Ben Rama instead. <laughs> but uh, it's like it's like a punchline to a sick joke. But uh, yeah, I think we, we've already dropped the ball on this one and there were points there. They were all obvious. We pointed to the fixtures. We were like, oh, we don't know which attackers to get, but those defenders, they'll be so good and they'll get so many Five PGs. Five teams we, to say very quickly. Yeah, right? not, we not didn't. We, yeah, we probably didn't think they were going to get five clean sheets, though. Um, I certainly didn't think that Tottenham were going to be the only ones that they that didn't score against, uh, that managed yeah. to score against them. But um, funny the way things work. But at the same time, I think we probably would have expected three or four clean sheets from them in that period and um, they have over delivered and we have all kind of missed out on it and yeah it is Cancelo I think does seem as it stands right now to be the pick of them the frustrating thing I guess is that you know Diaz is still the one who you would think is the more set player and I guess over the course of six game weeks he's almost kept pace with Cancelo like it's basically the Cancelo assist um, at the weekend is pretty much the difference between them now over the course of the six game weeks that we've had this season Cancelo with 44 points and Diaz with 39 um, but they are you know, a significant gap ahead of the likes of Laporte who at 5.5 has got 30 points and I guess Stones is just waiting there waiting to play and I think he you would still feel he's more under threat um, than Diaz or even Cancelo but yeah, as you say, Tom, the, the, a cloud always hangs over Cancelo because of Zinchenko in a way that we just don't feel it does with Diaz. And so I still think if I was making the transfer, yeah. I'd take the safe option, much as I benefited actually wildly from Cancelo last year because I didn't sell him. But that was a lot of the fact that there was just circumstances kept meaning that I kept having him and it kept working out. Um, but overall, I think I would still go for the safer option, especially just as kind of the Champions League stuff kind of continues to you know go on at the side. I just feel like I'd rather the safer option. And I think actually, not to bore people to death talking about my personal team, but I think this is why I'm just going to probably go for Edison uh, because I just rather just get the points quietly. <laughs> you know, he's he's on 34 points. So he's like, he's the third highest of these, you know, Man City oh, quote-unquote defenders. I know, yeah, but Tom, like you're, you're thinking about when he won game week there at the weekend, you know, it's like it's grand. Like it was only one, one clean sheet you missed out on there. It's a six-pointer. It's exactly what you expect from him. And that's what you missed out on. But like they're going to keep coming um, probably every second week. And I think I might as well just get on that. I just feel like I'm more or less likely to get stiffed um, over the whole entire uh, City defence and Pep Roulette thing with him. Otherwise with City, and I think we're kind of, we're going to get on to Torres problem later on after the break. But then I, the other player who I would be thinking about hilariously, and I can't believe we've got to this point six it. weeks into the season and I'm not going to do it, is Jesus. I knew you, he said He said afterwards, I play, I've played on the wing a lot and I like playing on the wing. Um, uh-huh. But I you know, I mean, if, if he he's is just, going to know that He's taken down, away. Then... He's taken away. Yeah, he's just taken away. He's getting the points. He offers a physical option that City just like clearly have lacked otherwise. Um, like he's not the, like a you know a physical phenom. Like he's not, he's not a Ronaldo type character, but he offers something that quite a lot of their players don't offer, and so he's a bit useful. And yeah. obviously, he's, he's very good with the ball at his feet as well. Like there's no yeah. argument about that. And so you're just like, oh, it's kind of tempting at eight point six. The thing is, is that he kind of he he faces the Armstrong problem writ large. Yeah. Um, in that you're you're playing him every week. He obviously plays for City, and it's like, do you really want to really be putting all your chips in on Gabriel Jesus? Like, I don't think we ever would have thought this was even an option. And so, yeah. I guess the data isn't good enough for me to be like, go, go, go. But I can totally see why people at least 
ponder it briefly, but I think should dismiss it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that Clara FPL has has Jesus um, both literally and uh, spiritually in his life, um, and uh, that's uh, one week that brings us back. An awkward segue to the final question uh, based off his correspondence, which is how much do we buy into fixture shares? Let's sum up. Um, I think inevitably we do, um, and for me, it's all about that sort of you know sun uplands to use that triggering triggering phrase uh, to uh, use the opportunity to get ahead if i can and um, fixtures versus form i guess needs to be borne in mind um but in the in this case where i'm removing my united players for chelsea then i think i'm going to do it and i'm going to buy into that shift and hope that you know looking at how i'm going to be running my aggressive sort of transfer strategy this season turning on its head not really kind of messing around with kind of the the deck chairs but playing the big boys in and out I'm hoping that that is going to be the thing that happens this week. I mean, obviously, watch me fail here. Um, but I guess overall, it's, it's one of those things that's always going to divide managers. It's always going to make managers kind of think, oh, you know, do I stay or do I go? Um, and I think that, you know, overall, um, you're always going to find that you will have one camp in one area, <laughs> another one in the other. And it's going to be quite an emotive issue, isn't it, Anthony? I mean, where do you stand upon the overall question of where do we buy into fixture ships? I guess it's where I signaled almost at the very beginning. And it's, it's somewhere in the middle, Tom. And I feel like you certainly have to keep fixture shifts in mind. I think it's especially when it comes to your lower value players or your, your deck chairs, as we continue to call them on our Titanics. And uh, it's, it's there that I feel like fixture shifts offer the greatest potential, not so much like sunny uplands, but it's just like small drumlins uh, above everyone else where you just get those little little few points that you can just gain on everyone it's the ones and twos or the fours and fives drumlin sorry a drumlin oh wow uh drumlins are commonly found in kind of the about monaghan is kind of the county in ireland that's classically associated with drumlins but sometimes in clue bay and mayo a lot of drumlins have been um flooded and so they form like little islands in the bay but basically what they are is like small uh kind of soil filled with like small stony hills so they're not like made like made up of rock they're just of a much softer kind right. of type okay. of hill that's what a drumlin is but they're small Thank hills you. guys that's that's what i'm trying to get at um with my accidental geography uh segue here but yeah fixtures <laughs> they can provide you with a small bit of an upside that you might Subtitles. need <laughs> Anthony does irish stuff <laughs> <laughs> like here we go this is just what happens isn't it i just i accidentally find myself down some sort of irish cul-de-sac um i hope now that i have um, done drumlin's justice by the way to all the people who are like from drumlin county but anyway drumlin um, county (laughs) (laughs) wow okay right anyway Continue. Tom, fixtures can be useful help you gain points especially on cheaper players Sometimes something you should take into account when it comes to talismanic players, especially talismanic premium players, more so if you're Tom than me because I'm running with the premium setup. Still, fixtures, important. Don't talk about drummonds on FPL podcasts. Perfect. Let's take a break there and we'll move on to questions after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool. So let's move on to the final bit of this podcast, which is the listener questions. Obviously, no correspondence this week because we did it in the main section. Uh, the first one is about the defensive picks. So I guess following on a little bit, actually, um, from what we heard earlier on. Also following on from last week's pod as well, because it's about defensive picks. Um, so um, Bancy Castle, he says, you know, can you rank the Chelsea defenders for the upcoming fixtures in terms of the upcoming fixtures shift? So that links it very nicely to what we're talking about. Um, 
FPL Leo, no, Leo FPL, asks, you know, should we be actually homing in on a City double up instead? And Claret FPL nuances this um, by asking, you know, who are the additional picks that we want to be getting in terms of the Chelsea defenders? Um, so, you know, if we're getting two, um, there's one which we're going to be essential, another one which is going to be kind of, you know, the, the one to add on to that. Massive transfer in on this, I mentioned earlier on, um, to take Chelsea defenders first so uh, our friend Alan desperately seeking do down actually did look at this uh, for us and um, he produced this really nice table which I don't have actually for the YouTube crowd but I'm just going to uh, read for a little bit here and uh, which luckily enough coincides with the research I did which is always nice it's always nice when two sources come together um, but you know in terms of ranking as Bantu Castle asked the Chelsea defensive picks the top one for me is actually as Piliqueta um, I know that that's probably going to be a little bit um, contentious for some people, um, but there's a couple of reasons behind this. The first is expected minutes. So he's played the most under the German manager um, out of all of Chelsea's defenders, um, 1874 minutes, um, 74 minutes more than Rudiger. And the number two, as I mentioned in last week's pod, is that he's a bit of a hybrid. He's a bit of a weird one in terms of the fact that you normally have, you know, a central defensive idea or you have an attacking sort of um, defender. And he's probably the only player in FPL's upper reaches I can think of who can either play that wing-back role or the centre-back role. Uh, with Dan, with uh, Rhys James, um, who pulled up and got taken off um, pretty early against City, um, maybe he'll be there again. Um, but it's good to have that, possibility of attacking returns as well as kind of you know uh, the defensive ones with uh, Chelsea's defense and having that versatility about him being able to play in that um, kind of centre-back role in the three um, versus him being able to play at wing-back I think feeds into point one as well as to his expected minutes he's also got the joint best XA under TT he's played in 21 games and he's managed an XA of 2.5 and equal to Reese James who's obviously not fit um, I guess below him is Alonso. We spoke about him last week. If you haven't wild carded, I'd be getting him and taking that risk. Um, but I haven't. Um, he's got the best MP expected goal involvement amongst Chelsea defenders in the new era. He's only played 13 games though. Below him is probably Rudiger. Um, so he's very sticky. Um, 20 games played. And below that, um, there's, uh, and to answer Jimmy um, uh, F. Bill Clout's question, is Christensen. So he's played the third mo- most minutes on the new manager. And 5.0, the risk is priced in. And maybe I wouldn't look at Thiago Silva. I'm not too sure about that. And I think that as Piliqueta and Christensen, we have the two that I go with going forward. But I can completely understand any combination that you can come up with. What do you reckon about the Chelsea defence first, Anthony, before we move on to the City? I don't have very strong views on it, uh, purely because um, I kind of feel like I've, I'm very much mentally in the market for one. And so thinking about the second is a bit, you know, it's a stretch too far for me. And I guess kind of straddling between the, the, the Chelsea and the City questions. When I'm thinking about this, I'm trying to figure out how I can get at least one City in and one Chelsea in. And I haven't really got mentally to the double up. The one, I guess, that... It's now becoming impossible to ignore and whatever the hell is happening with Ben Chilwell's um, injury and just not getting back in yet. I know he's obviously got a few minutes now. The damned, I do think that just getting Alonso and just, you know, the upside there, we, we know it so well. Um, it hasn't blown up in Tuchel's face playing him yet as well, um, which kind of just makes me feel a little bit more inclined to think that he's a little bit safer than 
uh, I would have thought last season when I really kind of didn't buy into the whole entire Alonso lark and it, it so proved that it wasn't a good idea to go with him uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, mm. That said, about Rudiger, just because he's that 0.4 cheaper than Aspetiqueta, uh, yeah, Aspetiqueta offers a little bit going forward, but I'm not sure if it's enough to justify the 0.4 more, not because it's 0.4 more in financial terms, but because it's what that 0.4 does to my ability to buy another good yeah, defender. In, in, the freemium, in the freemium, that's the that that's a huge mm-hmm. amount, whereas for me, it's not yeah. that much. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of why Rudiger kind of appeals to me as much as he does. I know the, the underlying data isn't like particularly in Rudiger's favour in terms of what he can do up at corners and things, but you kind of feel like... Uh, in a title-winning team, they need to get goals out of centre-backs. They have been good at getting goals out of centre-backs. It's just been quite spread out so far. Uh, Rudrick obviously has one goal this season. He got one under two goals last season. I kind of feel like he can get that up to three or four this year. Um, but at the same time, it's not like they have a very targeted policy when it comes to their corners or anything. It's not It's not Brighton, you know? It, it's just not like that. And so with that in mind, you're kind of like, eh, that's not really the reason why I'd be pointing towards him as an option. Tom, I do understand why you're going for Christensen as a second option because he is just so cheap. And I kind of feel like the days that you want the Chelsea double-ups are the types of days where you'd expect Christensen to play. Whereas I would, in my head, notionally, I would have thought that you'd save Thiago Silva for the bigger games. Mm. Is that correct? I don't know. Like, I don't know either. And we, well, I don't think anyone can know um, because I even feel like if you analyze back the data last season, I'm not sure how valid it is for someone like Thiago well, Silva at his age. Well, Thiago Silva has played the least minutes under um, Tuchel since game of 20 last year um, of yeah. all, all, the, all the available Chelsea defenders, which maybe tells you what we need to know. But, yeah, but you see, with with Chelsea towards the end of last season, yeah, priority was the Champions there's, League. And there's, so it's like, you know, there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can point to Havertz and kind of say similar things about his game time towards the end of last year. But we all know that he was probably Chelsea's best player in the second half last season. Just wasn't yeah. seen from really. So, yeah, it's just, uh, there's all sorts of arguments you can get into about your second chest defender. For me, if I'm trying to get one in, it's probably Alonso, but because money is tight, uh, 5.6, Rudiger maybe end up be the one that I end up getting. And I can't I can't deal with the fact that there's the priced in uh, cheapness in Christensen and the fact that you get rotated because I just need my one. Let's bring in Leo's question here about um, homing mm-hmm. on Sissy as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, you said earlier about Edison and, and you said earlier on as well that you prefer Diaz. And mm-hmm. I think what's interesting here is that, you know, you're looking at Rudiger, you're looking at Diaz. I mean, is it those centre-backs in total, which are the ones who are kind of turning your head when it comes to these teams? It, it feels like we're both kind of homing in on expected minutes. So for me, Espedicueta, because he's so versatile, that's why I think he's going to be giving me those expected minutes. It's not so much about the fact that he could play right wing back, therefore we'll get me attacking points because yeah, he's no, versatile. He's going to get me those minutes. I fully understand that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I guess it is, yeah, it is expected minutes that's guiding me uh, when it comes to these things. And I just, you kind of feel like when a player has the minutes and, you know, I'm really dragging out the point that I made when I was comparing Diaz and Cancelo here, but you kind of feel like when you have the guy who's going to play nine out of 10 games versus the guy who's going to play eight out of 10 games, so this yeah. is, you know, Cancelo being the eight and Diaz being the nine, you're kind of hoping that that ninth game, the game that Cancelo didn't partake in, that Diaz did, that he gets, you know, six, eight, 
you know, maybe a fluky 11 or 12 pointer there. And that equalizes the difference of the fact that, you know, the other guy would have had like a slightly higher ceiling all the way through and probably picked up an assist or two along the way that would have given him the six and that it equalizes out in the end. Does it work in practice? You you just don't know. And I think this is where you're kind of, you're you're a hostage to fortune in many ways when you're trying to pick and choose your defenders in this sense. Uh, And so you can only really do what your team structure and budget allows. And for me, I guess that is, I need to guarantee as much as possible that I am getting those points for those clean sheets because there's nothing worse than investing relatively heavily in the defense and not getting the returns when they have come. Yeah, it's very team dependent because for you, one of your you know, premium defenders doesn't show up, then you, you're into a very sort of it's catastrophic compromised bench situation, aren't you? So Diaz makes yeah. a lot of sense for you. Um, staying with Man City. Joe Bruin at Joe Bruin FFT from Wolf War Two magazine actually um, says just three words: Ferran Torres. WTF? Um, I also want to throw in a recruitment call here via Emma at Jump the Wave. Um, she asks uh, if there are any knowledgeable City fans um, to please DM her um, to help her with her lineup predictions. Um, so these are quite well respected amongst the FPL community. Um, her and We Rogue have been working on this quite a while. So every week they provide uh, aggregated sort of lineup predictions thing for what's going to happen for Man City every week and, and provide kind of a a lineup prediction last week they got it exactly right um a huge asset to the FPL community so if you are an F, uh, a man city kind of you know fanatic you're watching them every week and you you could provide some uh, really valuable in, input please get involved if you can that's at jump the wave um but fran torres last week anthony you said it was rash to be selling are you still of the same mindset it's kind of for all the same reasons that I was thinking it was rash to sell last week. It's just like you bought him knowing he wasn't going to play every game. And as you like to say, the risk was priced in to him being 7.0. And you're buying, you know, to have a participant in that Man City attack for relatively cheap. And he still is that, even if he hasn't been playing a huge amount in the last two games. And I don't think there's any point getting too rash about it on the basis of like, his expected minutes changing because the fact of the matter is, is I really don't think they have. And if anything, two games, um, in fact, three games, I guess, where he didn't play the full game. So you've got the the Leicester game where City succeeded in only scoring once. You have the Southampton game where they couldn't score, and the Chelsea game where they only managed to score the once. You know, it hasn't done, it hasn't gone too well from a scoring perspective without him. And so I think you could construct an argument if you were trying to look at this the other way, that City need to play Ferran Torres and that he will then play um, in these future games that are coming up. So it's easy for me to say when I don't own him and I'm not looking at these blanks in my team. But at the same time, I think when you're running some sort of duomium setup where you have multiple players in that price bracket and plenty of kind of decent players even coming off the bench to kind of pick up the slack, I totally think you could keep Ferran Torres in your team. Certainly, I'm no, I'm not a big enough expert on City to even try and wade into the is he going to play, isn't he going to play, uh, who plays in Europe, who doesn't play. I honestly feel like you know there's there's a point where you can try and work this out, but I just feel like you're buying in. The risk is priced in with him. It's not like a Sterling type character where it's a huge amount of money to be paying for the, about the same upside that Torres offers. And so I think you should hang on if you can. But I really understand why people are frustrated with him. Yep, do I knew a man here. I'm looking to keep as I can absorb him playing. Um, I basically need the money from Jota more than the money from Torres. And it's down to basically the quality of replacement I can get. So if I'm basically removing uh, Jota over Torres, I can move Jota for a mid-price midfielder 
um, plus a for Cancelo later on to come in for Williams. So I'm looking at you know, Jota and Williams to and then Buemo, we'll talk about him in a little bit, and Cancelo versus if I if I remove uh, Torres, um, I've got the by, you know, like a, an Alan sort of character, who's obviously the best player in the world, according to Anthony, but nonetheless, he's not a player who's going to be playing in my team every week, or at least I'm not going to be too comfortable by having him um, to do anything other than being the second bench to the first bench. So mm-hmm. um, I think I'm going to keep and hope he plays Burnley. Is it going to be a hope? I've, I know it's a hope. I'm openly saying that. Um, but basically, he's on the chopping block. I've just got other plans. I didn't actually plan to play Torres for either of these games. Um, I was planning to play Dennis for this one. And I think the next one I'm going to end up with taking one for to take, bring someone else in. But I knew that people were basically losing their heads about him all around me. <laughs> and so I think for me, I'm going to be probably leaving him there because I can absorb it for now because of how I'm set up. Um, and I'm going to be hoping that City hammer out their customary dismissal of uh, Burnley with Torres involved. Lol. Let's see what happens in Game of Gate, but I think that's kind of the way I am. Very much depends on your team, basically, Joe. All right, moving to the next thing. Um, Pre-wildcard punt. So obviously a lot of people are wildcarding at the moment. Mm-hmm. We've got FPL Salah, um, Abdul on next week. We're looking forward to that. To speak about the wildcards, um, so we're not going to be going in too much into prospective teams or whatever right now. Um, but nonetheless, um, there are a couple of good questions here. Um, so James Crow, um, who's on uh, Game Week 3, uh, the podcast then, asked our Slack, if Saar is the best one-week punt. And Benny Blanco spoke to him earlier on. He said, calm down, calm down, la." Oh, he said he's thinking of going large. He asked, is it worth transferring out Liverpool assets for game week seven if you're planning on the game week eight wild card? So he's thinking about Salah out to Lukaku, basically as a fun that move, and Ronaldo to double up the Ronkaku thing and then wild carding Salah back in in game week eight. He says, you know, it's kind of tough where I'm at. He's got two free transfers, lots of options. I guess for me, Anthony, I think the temporary Ronkaku and getting rid of Salah, I know you had a bad experience removing Salah and he's got that penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I guess it's mm-hmm. literally just having Ronkaku for one week, no Salah for one week. And do we advise that that's the thing to do? I'm not sure if I do. <laughs> just because it's kind of, I feel like it's a muchness of muchness and maybe it's moving in towards James's question that maybe there's a dice you can roll somewhere else in the side that actually just might be kind of, in terms of just the risk or exposure or whatever, it might just be worth honestly getting a, a SAR type character into your side that you don't have already that you'd like that can just, you know, beef up your uh, possibilities or just even just a good defender who, you know, has a good fixture coming up. Like you can't help but just look at who Norwich are playing. Burnley. Great, a decent defense. Hukovsky in straight away. Yeah, honestly, but you know, it, it could work. And it's just like, I just feel like selling Salah could be a really, really tragic moment. Um, <laughs> I'm inclined to avoid it because of what's happened to me, but I can totally understand why you're doing it, Benny. I did it once already and it didn't go well for me. If you do it, I hope it goes better for you. I don't know. These games, I'm always inclined to think they're going to be cagey, but my mind always goes back to you know, everyone selling Bruno last year and he scored a penalty in the first minute. And obviously, what happened to you? So, see where you're coming from, Anthony, in terms of just kind of thinking, is there anything else you could possibly do? Um, on to um, J Dot's question. I think it goes back to what you said. Anyone facing Norwich, surely, is the midfielder to get. I would have said Mr. Cornetto, Maxwell Cornet, but he did go off. Um, injured sadly and he would, he'd been the one that I would have pointed at um, because he was the positions that he would got into versus uh, Leicester were so good um, he was being found by Westwood a lot and there's a nice little sort of um, connection going on there between the two of them so I guess if it's not him then I guess maybe it's McNeil 
Uh, Burnley, I mean, he's blanked every single game so far this season. He, but he's one of those who does <laughs> kind of, you've got to play the percentages. But if I was wildcarding this week and I had to kind of choose that sort of third or fourth midfielder, anyone facing Norwich would be that midfielder for me. Mm-hmm, but you, like, you could get a lot of joy out of some random character like uh, a Havertz as well, you know, in this zone with him placing, facing Southampton. Yeah, you know, of course, like, yeah. The, the, everything to say that Chelsea could just rack up like three or four goals against Southampton. Havertz gets, you know, three goal involvements and but then Bob's we'll, your uncle. We'll, we'll have it start compared to will McNeil start. McNeil would definitely start. <laughs> I think, we'll I think if, we're in, if we're in this debate, I'd just push everyone back to Sire in that context. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, he's exactly. like, he's. He's he's been improved. He's improved. Actually, I think I was quite um, against Sar after his kind of early haul that he had. Um, I think it was in game week one, wasn't it? Uh, he has obviously. He seems to be getting a little bit more central than he had been in those early games. And you know, obviously, he's got goals in the last two fixtures, three goals across those two, and just seems to be maybe kind of growing into this Premier League season a little bit more. I'm not sure if that's a trite thing to say and that's kind of just an easy narrative that I've just concocted or if that's fully true. I feel like watching highlights, at least, I haven't um, sat myself through a full Watford game uh, in the last three game weeks. But it does seem to me, just looking at touch maps and things, that Sarah is just getting that little bit more central. He's not hugging the touchline. I think they're just embracing the fact that he's one of their, if not their best uh, goal threat in spite of the fact he's also probably their best creator they're kind of leaning into the fact that goals win matches and they are trying to make him get them and it's worked so far yeah I think that um, Sar is like, the obvious pitch to bring in I suppose it, it depends on how different we want to be um, but in this price bracket he's probably the one to do and that leads us very nicely into the final question this week which is about budget mid ranking so Karen Tynes of us uh, via WhatsApp asked us you know to look at budget midfielders for the next four game weeks. I think we're going to define this as the midfielders under 6.5 million. But, you know, he gives us a kind of range of them. So, Saar, Mbwemo, Gallagher, uh, Rafinha, Torres. No, I think Torres now. We're going to remove, we're going to remove him from that if he's too expensive. Uh, ben Rama, Saka, ESR, etc. Top five from each of you. I'm not sure we're going to do that. But let, let's bring out a few that we want to speak about. Um so Conor Gallagher, he got a uh, obviously a penalty assist uh, this evening. He became he was man of the match as well. Um, he got a lot of high praise on the pod recently. That's Joe was very very good. Um, whether that's going to hold up, I'm not entirely sure. But I guess Sarah Anthony is a standout for obvious, obvious reasons alongside uh, Rafinha. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, that's largely I think what I would be agreeing with. That Sarah is kind of the one that you'd be looking at. The, the only thing is that when we're looking at the next four fixtures, you're kind of like okay okay good game week in game week seven but then you've got Liverpool you've got Everton and then you've got Southampton they're not exactly plum fixtures we were talking about Rafinha and the fact that Leeds you know their fixtures are still pretty okay um, and that maybe might be something that would uh, tempt you but if you were kind of looking to make a bit of a gain from this category I think Saka is actually the one who I'd be looking at just because his his underlying data is it's not as good as SARS um, and it's about the same as Rafinha's but I kind of feel like there's you know there's some serious upsides to be got out of that with Arsenal's fixtures being you know, relatively good in these coming weeks so that's uh, Brighton away Palace home Villa home Leicester away Watford home you know these are all games that you'd have you know decent hopes for Saka in and that if he's going to continue going well, then he will. And he's not obviously he's not a talisman in the true sense, but at the same time, I feel like he's relied upon an awful lot in that Arsenal attack to get forward. Yeah. Um, Torres is your kind of your real gamble here. The thing with Gallagher, and I know we were just kind of we discussed him last week quite a lot. The thing with him is that he's he's cheap, and I think that's why you might want to put him into your team just because he kind of enables you in a way that 
you know, some of the rest of them don't. Uh, so there's kind of contrasting claims for a few of those names. Certainly, I don't think I'd be jumping on Benrama. ESR, we discussed earlier in the podcast. I'm just not that excited about. Um, Embuemo is an interesting one. I just feel like I'd be trying to get Tony in if I was going for one of those mm. Brentford guys. But Embuemo has been good. His data is grand. Uh, it's just because he's a midfield slot that I'm kind of a bit like, eh, do I okay, want him? I, I, I guess with Embuemo, though, like you, Tony is in that kind of same category as, as Armstrong, as we talked about earlier on, where you're yeah. looking at kind of thinking, well, could I get a midfielder who could do better than you? Okay, get a defender who could be better than you. Yeah. Whereas with Bueno, I think I just want to highlight him based on the eye test effectively. So Mark Sullivan's obviously got him for a while. God. Um, but, um, against Liverpool and against Wolves, um, the last two games I've watched of him uh, when he caught my eye, he's, his average position has just been obviously great because he's out of position. He's, yeah. he's up front as a 5.5. And I think he's just one goal away from everybody jumping on him. I really do. Um, he's uh-huh. second for most big chances amongst this less than 6.5 million price bracket. Second yeah. for XG and the third biggest underperformer on SGI, Traore and Trincao surprisingly in front of him in that area he's got the third most pen box touches i think he's the one that is going to be coming in for me actually this week and um, to help me with those onward moves um just because that game versus west ham next i think that, that promises goals especially because they're at home versus west ham west ham and ninth for sgc and also fourth for xg so they're kind of top for conceding as well as attacking kind of metrics so i think there should be goals in that one fpl review um actually slates him as being the best value midfielder and also he's got chelsea and leicester um the next couple of games and it's very rare you would say this about a player, but I'm happy benching him for those. So it doesn't kind of give me a benching headache about having him for the West Ham game and then getting rid of him after that. And 5.5, like he does the job of covering Tony for a little bit. And also, so he's only scored one goal, five blanks. And so there's obviously that. But as I keep saying, he's that's priced in to him being 5.5. A 5.5 million out of, out, out, out of position uh, a striker uh, you, for a team which is going forward. Like, that's, stretch, that's yeah. but it is, but like you stretch just a little bit and you can, you can access, you know, but I, really, can't, I, I can't though, because I need to be able to afford to bring You can't even stretch to Gallagher. Here in this world, no, because if if there's not if there's one it's, more, it's rise literally it's literally else, the difference of one I think rise. Okay. I think it's I think it's the, I think it's not point two, not point three, or something like that. Okay, so I mean uh, it's a very specific decision reasoning. Yeah, but do okay. I even want Gallagher? Like, if you watched him tonight, it was good, and it has been good throughout the year. Is he good enough to invest in throughout the long term? Especially if I want somebody who's going to come on or mm-hmm. not be playing. I'm basically looking at analogous to the old school 4.5 defense midfielder or the old school sort of, you know, mm-hmm. 5.0 striker. At 5.5, mm-hmm. I think that Embuemo offers a very good sort of way in there. I mean, ESR probably is another one that you mentioned earlier on, but I don't want him to bench him for the fixtures that you've mentioned. Whereas with Embuemo, call me old fashioned, I'm very happy to have established 11 and. At times, he comes in and comes out. And we look at this in a moment in my kind of team. But I think that he's like a nice sort of middle ground between what, what I kind of want in that sort of price bracket. Might as well flick the slide to the transfers and captains for your side, Tom, when we're discussing this in this detail. 
but the uh, the thing with um this with this conundrum that you're talking about like surely you just put in ESR at that point and even though you don't want to bench him and you don't want to have the headache of benching him because you're running the risk with say a Christensen type character that he's not going to play that you at least have someone that you're happy with coming in with fixtures that you're I'm, happy I'm with. happy with but I'm happy with Embraer coming in because of how Brentford play I okay. think that there's okay. a lot more upside about Embraer because he's out of position up front uh, and yeah he's out of position he's up front and even to be honest like Brentford at home to Chelsea was Chelsea are good defensively and everything they've been those fans are sucking the ball into the net against big teams at the moment yeah, so yeah, yeah I can see why I can see but why you're next, next week it is West Ham and I think that, that game could be full of it um, so basically my bus team is absolutely disgusting um, Leicester uh, greater in goal against Leicester um, and uh, Christensen TAA I've still got Shaw he's going to be gotten rid of for Aspi um, as long as it comes through uh, Wednesday's game in Turin fit Cody uh, against Newcastle at the back in midfield Ben Rama against Brentford Zold's club he's going to score there isn't he Geeps uh, Salah obviously I'm going to keep hold of him and Rafinha I'm going to keep hold of him up from uh, Antonio Ronaldo and Dennis Ronaldo's probably going to come wrong um, and on the bench, I've got Jota, Torres and Williams, so heartbreak ready to go. But what I'm looking to do um, effectively is uh, move out uh, Jota for Mbuemo, um, which allows me to get in basically in later in, in next week, uh, Williams to Cancelo. Again, we're, we're getting into proper like theory crafting, proper planning kind of stuff. Uh, but the key headline moves are Ronaldo to Lukaku, who I still maintain probably is probably the best captain this week, even though I think the algos aren't going to agree with me. But I think this might be next week might be an interesting one. <laughs> and um, I'm going to be moving out sure for Aspilicueta. Um, so I'm going to end up with a decent team um, come next week um, with uh, basically Cody. I'm going to play him alongside Aspilicueta and Christensen at the back. Um, Trent, uh, he's had a bit of a, it seems to have had a bit of a niggle. He's not going to be playing against Porto, the sounds of the news tonight, but who knows? Um, midfield, I'll be playing Salah, obviously, Rafinha, Mbuemo, and Ben Rama, uh, Antonio Lukaku in the 4 4 2. And then they'll have Dennis, Torres, and Williams on the bench. Um, and I'm I'm very happy with that. I think Mbomo is really good because I, in, in, next week I can bench him pretty happily against Chelsea. But if he comes on, then great. Fair enough, Tom. I can't I can't argue with that. Like you've you, I guess you've you've discussed the Mbomo thing enough that that was kind of the, the place that I would really be arguing. But the rest of the team that, that you bring together is quite good. And you have obviously decent bench options there, which means that at least you're in, you're insulated if something does go wrong. Moving on to my own side, it's a little bit of a headache right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, in goals, I have Sanchez. Uh, then I don't have a second goalkeeper. And Sanchez obviously is at home to Arsenal. It's not the worst fixture in the world, but it's not ideal. Um, across the back line, I have Soufal, home to Brentford. Cody, home to Newcastle. White, away to Brighton. And I do have Ailing, and I have him starting right now, just nominally in the team. He's at home to Watford. I'm 5-3 across my midfields. It stands right now, Ben Rama. Salah and Rafinha, who I hope will be okay. And then up front, I have Lukaku, Ronaldo and Antonio. The I have two transfers going into this game week. Um, my Sorry, my bench, by the way, for what it's worth, is Jota, Alan and Livramento. So Alan has a bad enough fixture. Livramento has a poor enough fixture. And Jota has a bad fixture. So I'm really kind of right up against the wall in terms of um, having players who I don't really want playing um, coming in if Ailing and or Rafinha prove to be injured. And then I have a few players that I don't really... Like want in this team anymore. Ben Rama's one of them, but when it's Brentford and it's the old club thing, I might just hold on to him. But still, do I want to be continued to do I want to continue to be tripled up on this West Ham attack? 
not really to be perfectly honest with you so i have kind of a few things that i'd like to do one of which is actually to upgrade sanchez but just this isn't the week purely because they're playing liverpool um purely because man city are playing liverpool and it's edison that i'd like to bring in so i think i kind of push off that goalkeeper transfer one week and so perhaps what i may end up doing is something that just frees up the money but still allows me to go through um the into the next into the game week after this one uh with my two free transfers intact and that is quite tempting if that was what I do do, it will be either Jata or Ben Rama that makes way. I would say more likely Jata because I think just kind of in a longer run, that kind of just allows me to start moving my money backwards. Um, I'm, I'm really struggling to work out how I'm going to continue running with the premium setup as I try to move money backwards, but I'm just not quite up against the brick wall at the end of the cul-de-sac just yet. So I think I'll continue to run headlong at it because at the moment, all of the enablers that I have have decent fixtures. Mm-hmm. There's fixtures aren't swinging against them. So it kind of means that I can kind of get away with this a little bit longer. I do feel though that this is going to start to hurt me. Yeah, I mean, you're not um, immediately needing TAA, for example. TAA is one of the big ones, and obviously the little bit of an injury means that I'm a little bit happier um, not having him again, of course. And then the the City defence, I can kind of get away with it this week. It's the it's the Chelsea defence is the one that if I was to make two free transfers, that's the one that I'd be trying to buy into. Um, yeah. And if I was to do that buy into, it would be Soufal who would make way. I'm quite happy to move away from him. He's... He's not performed as well as I hoped he would, um, to say the least, since I got him in. And I think it's Ooh, it's time to move him good. on. It hasn't been good. It's just been kind of frustratingly just off, you know, being potentially good. Um, so yeah. I think that just that mistake needs to be um, rectified. And that is, if I was making my two free transfers, he is kind of the one who would be making way to go to, presumably, I guess, one of the Chelsea defenders in this case, given that they're the ones with the good fixture this week. Lukaku captain, by the way, um, is where I'm at right now. Cool. That's your lot, isn't it, this week? Yes, indeed. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We were Who Got the Assist. We would greatly appreciate if you could leave a five-star review if you enjoyed what you heard or if you've enjoyed what you've heard over the last few seasons. If you want to see us talking about all of this FPL stuff rather than just listening to us, go to the YouTube channel. You can just find that by searching WGTA on YouTube, but it's Who Got the Assist if you really want to go typing. Correspondence, you can get into Who Got the Assist at gmail.com. We'll be joined next week by FPL Salah, aka Abdul Rechman, um, and that'll be really, really good just to hear about his thoughts. He's well calling into game week eight, potentially. Uh, Apple's a legend. Follow him, FPL underscore Salah. In the meantime, I hope this is you thinking about this fixture shift, and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.